It's not so much that the veterans who created the Terran Federation do not respect what we would call inalienable rights. It's that they view these rights as privileges that come not from God, but from the sacrifices of those who have allowed their polity to enjoy them. As Lieutenant Colonel Dubois puts it, liberty is never unalienable. It must be redeemed regularly with the blood of patriots or it always vanishes. This is Purple Hall. Welcome to Preble Hall, a podcast about naval history from the United States Naval Academy Museum in Annapolis. I will introduce Congressman Gallagher with one word, Marine. <laughs> That's good. And nerd, nerdy Marine is... <laughs> Uh, thank you. This coin is amazing. I can't believe you guys put this together. That's cool. I will display that proudly in my office and cherish it for a long time to come. It's, uh, it's an honor to be with here, uh, with all of you here today. And what a great presentation that we just heard. I want to talk a little bit about um, service, citizenship, and starship troopers. What is the moral difference, if any, between the soldier and the civilian? The difference, answers our hero, Johnny Rico, Lies in the field of civic virtue, a soldier accepts personal responsibility for the safety of the body politic of which he is a member, defending it, if need be, with his life. The civilian does not. Retired mobile infantry Lieutenant Colonel Jean Dubois is not pleased. The exact words of the book, he replies. But do you understand it? Do you believe it? So goes the day's lesson in history and moral philosophy, a mandatory class for students of the Terran Federation, a world imagined by U.S. Naval Academy graduate Robert Heinlein in his 1959 novel, Starship Troopers. This conference forces all of us to think about the ways in which technology might disrupt future war. As attendees of this conference, I think you should spend some time thinking about how your interest in science fiction might disrupt your ability to find a date going forward. <laughs> um, but I've chosen Heinlein's book because uh, it focuses on a human theme, the warrior's place in society. Because the truth is, as was mentioned before, no technology can transcend the nature of war or compensate for a waning warrior ethos. This is a book that shows how high-powered suits allow mobile infantrymen rapidly drop from naval spaceships via capsules into foreign planets to cover miles in minutes and for a PFC to carry and drop more firepower than an entire air force. Yet it is also a book that reminds us, as Heinlein's hero Johnny Rico puts it, that a man in a spacesuit can be just as stupid as anyone else. <laughs> and while weapons of war may be protean, as Rico's drill sergeant Zim reminds us in the end, there are no dangerous weapons, there are only dangerous men. And underlying the whole enterprise of dangerous men and women is a sacred trust, a covenant that binds warriors together, based on a shared ethos, but also binds warriors to the society that we serve. It stands to reason that even in a society which manages, as I think we do, to send our very best to serve in the military, and the Naval Academy is the best example of that, the strength of that force ultimately depends on the underlying strength of the society that we serve. A healthy society will recruit strong men and women to keep that society safe, and it stands to reason that a sick society will eventually infect its armed forces with that weakness. 
So the Terran Federation imagined by Highland in his novel arises out from the ashes of a world grown soft and given way to chaos in which wolf packs of children armed with chains, knives, homemade guns, bludgeons roam the street and murder, drug, addiction, larceny, assault, and vandalism become commonplace. Highland writes that a lack of moral responsibility was the soft spot which destroyed what was in many ways an admirable cultural. The junior hoodlums who roamed their streets were symptoms of a greater sickness. Their citizens, all of them counted as such, glorified their mythology of, quote, rights and lost track of their duties. As a result, the Terran Federation, established by veterans in the aftermath of a destructive war between a Russian-Anglo-American alliance on the one hand and the Chinese hegemony on the other, placed primacy on instilling a sense of duty through corporal punishment if necessary. Individuals are viewed like untrained puppies. They misbehave not out of malice, but out of their superior's neglect and a lack of discipline enforcement. The defining characteristic of the Federation is that only those who have served honorably can gain citizenship and exercise their franchise or the right to vote. It's not so much that the veterans who created the Terran Federation do not respect what we would call inalienable rights, it's that they view these rights as privileges that come not from God, but from the sacrifices of those who have allowed their polity to enjoy them. As Lieutenant Colonel Dubois puts it, liberty is never unalienable. It must be redeemed regularly with the blood of patriots or it always vanishes. In an ironic twist, I think Starship Trooper is the story of a society grounded in service and discipline that despite its martial foundation, operates almost entirely apart from its military, which exists as an aloof guardian class. Soldiers and civilians find it largely impossible to understand one another, and both seem to look down on each other simultaneously. As Johnny's dad says, we've outgrown wars. This so-called federal service is parasitism, pure and simple, a functionless organ, utterly obsolete, living on the taxpayers, a decidedly expensive way for inferior people who otherwise would be unemployed to live at the public expense for a term of years, then give themselves heirs for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Jerry, I'm not saying you're living off the taxpayer, <laughs> putting on heirs, but that's right. <laughs> Now in our own society, which was founded largely by veterans, 58% of the founders were veterans, you need not serve to vote and civilians largely revere the military. Yet Highland's world throws our own challenges into sharp relief. While we don't yet have wolf packs of children terrorizing our streets, although some parents in the audience might disagree with that, um, America today is beset by a sort of sickness and collapse in civic virtue that would be familiar to Lieutenant Colonel Dubois' history and moral philosophy class. Physically, two out of three Americans today are overweight or obese compared with less than half in 1959 when the novel was published, costing taxpayers roughly $150 billion each year and growing. Life expectancy, while higher than it was in 1959, went down last year for the first time in two and a half decades. Americans are killing themselves with far greater frequency. Just last year, suicide rates reached a 30-year high, surpassing 1950s levels. Economically, as Nicholas Eberstadt has chronicled, America is now home to an immense army of jobless men no longer even looking for work, more than 7 million alone between the ages of 25 and 55, the traditional prime of working life. In other words, we have an army of men who have chosen not to be men, living off girlfriends or the government, dole, while spending their days playing video games, drinking, or doing drugs. Politically, trust in government is at a historic low. 
Congress, I think, has a 12% approval rating. That's lower than cockroaches and colonoscopies at the current rate. You can check me on that. Um, they actually pulled colonoscopies. <laughs> and Genghis Khan and Britney Spears. Um, less than 30% of 12th graders are proficient in civics. Only one in three Americans could pass a citizenship test. And our reflexive thank you for your service culture covers up a civil-military divide that, as a recent book on the topic concluded, contributes to strategic incoherence, permits the imposition of social policies that erodes battlefield lethality, fosters a sense of victimization towards veterans that skews defense spending towards pay and benefits, and distances veterans from our broader community. So what do we do? What do we as warrior nerds do when confronted with a growing decline in civic duty and personal responsibility? Some have argued for a renaissance in civic education in our grade schools and high schools, perhaps to take a page from Starship Troopers, mandatory courses taught by veterans on history and moral philosophy. Well, I'm all for some version of this. Since the earliest days of Western civilization, the purpose of education has been to form good, democratic, small-d citizens. That's why after World War II, it was a good investment for the Republic to pay for the kid from Green Bay who had fought at Guadalcanal to go to Madison on the GI Bill and study Plato and Shakespeare. But I suspect even if we were able to spark that renaissance, this would be inadequate. Others have argued that we need a national service requirement. If only everyone, this is sort of the reverse of Starship Troopers in a way, if only everyone were forced to serve, then we would all have a sense of the stakes and our divided society would find a way to come together. This sounds very nice. It is intuitively appealing, but I would argue it would cost a lot of money at a time when we cannot fully resource the military we currently have. Furthermore, as Heinlein argues in this book, it isn't easy to, quote, instill moral virtue, socially responsibility, into a person who doesn't have it, doesn't want it, and resents having the burden thrust on him. If he has it forced down him, he will vomit it out. At best, I believe a national service requirement might give us a slightly better society, but it would come at the cost of a less professional, less lethal, and less ready military. So if expanded civics education and universal national service won't cut it, what will? There is, of course, Heinlein's vision. It may seem tempting, it may seem more orderly, and um, indeed there are parts of it that every year or so when I read it I find appealing, but as with any oligopoly or dictatorship, it is ultimately a dystopia. A world in which our rights are not inalienable but rather benevolently bestowed on us by the guardian class subverts the very idea of America. And unlike in Starship Troopers, where veterans lead civilization out of chaos at the cost of a broadly participatory society, I think there's another path forward, one that may be more difficult, but is ultimately nobler and more in line with our values as Americans. As Secretary Mattis recently said in an impromptu speech to deployed servicemen and women that I'm sure you all saw, he said, you're a great example for our country right now. And it's got problems. You know it, and I know it. It's got problems we don't have in the military. And you just hold the line, my fine soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines. You just hold the line until our country gets back to understanding and respecting each other and showing it, of being friendly to one another, that Americans owe one another. We're so doggone lucky to be Americans. We've got two powers, the power of inspiration, and we'll get that power back, and we've got the power of intimidation, and that's you. If someone wants to screw with our families, our country, and our allies. So how do we 
How do we, how do you midshipmen in particular hold the line? To start with, we need to look inward as veterans and acknowledge that contrary to what Secretary Mattis said, we do have problems. Our ranks are not immune from the many challenges that plague our society. Depression, addiction, obesity, sexual assault, suicide. This is obviously eroding our power of intimidation, compromising our warfighting excellence. And it should come as no surprise. After all, we are not, as Lieutenant Colonel Dubois views the mobile infantry in Starship Troopers, a guardian class, better than the rest of society, somehow immune to its ills. Rather, we are a component part of society, one showing symptoms of a broader social disease. As the classic manual for the armed forces officer tells us, to think of the military as a guardian class apart, rather than a strong right arm, corporately joined to the body and sharing its every function, is historically false and politically inaccurate. As retired Army Colonel Bob Killebrew put it recently, paraphrasing an old Marine he knew decades ago, remember that the longer you stay in uniform, the less you will really understand about the country you protect. Democracy is the antithesis of military life. It's chaotic, dishonest, disorganized, and at the same time, glorious, exhilarating, and free, which you are not. After a while, if you stay in, you'll be tempted to say, look, you civilians, we've got a better way. We're better organized, we're patriotic, and we know what it is to sacrifice. Be like us, and you'll be dead wrong, son. Your duty as a service member is, first and foremost, to be that strong right arm of the Republic, withstanding and doling out violence well as dangerous men and women when necessary in order to keep the country safe. To the extent that technology, however, serves as a crutch or science perpetuates the fiction that warfighting is no longer fundamentally about human will and discipline, it's dangerous and distracts from our duty. But holding that line also demands that you avoid disdain for your fellow citizens because your responsibilities as a warrior go beyond the battlefield. We cannot and must not force the rest of society to join our ranks as military men and women or adopt our military worldview or simply put us in charge as is shown in this vision. Rather, I think we must reverse the arrow, so to speak, by finding a way to redeploy into the ranks of society. In other words, holding the line means not only exercising that power of intimidation, but also wielding the weapon of inspiration because the military still stands for virtues that are no longer in fashion respect for human dignity, humility, discipline, self-sacrifice, virtues that I believe must be reawakened. And through, and I'm talking to the midshipmen here primarily, through your example, you can remind the body politic not that we're somehow better than them or the best among them, but of what is best within all of us. We can't impose a martial spirit on society, but we can serve as an example. Because your moment of crisis may not come in Kabul, it may come back home in your community. And amidst a society plagued by constant scandal and endless outrage, simply by keeping your cool, keeping your honor clean, and dealing with everyday crises in disciplined ways, you can serve your country. In other words, if you fancy yourself a modern day Cincinnatus, remember the defining trait of Cincinnatus is not just that he left the plow to serve his country in his time of need, but that he, as George Washington did so many years later, 
resisted the temptations of power and returned to the farm. His strength was in self-restraint. And it's that example that our society so desperately needs today. Our nation today is unrestrained in so many ways. We're bankrupting our children with unrestrained spending. We're degrading our discourse with unrestrained and tribally based political rhetoric. We are polluting our minds and our bodies with unrestrained pleasures. Our society is in crisis. The military is training and has trained many of you how to act in moments of crisis. And your duty does not end when you take off the uniform. So I'm sorry to the midshipmen, but you've not just signed up for like five years, you've signed up for a lifetime of service, no matter how you might try to get out of it. Because unlike in Starship Troopers, your service will confer on you no additional rights. Your vote will count the same as the person in your high school class who spent the last four years playing video games. That may seem unfair. I'm sorry to all the video game players in the audience. Uh, <laughs> but in a fair world, we would not need a military. You are here because the world is unfair. Civilians will thank you for your service, but their words will sound hollow next to the sacrifices we're gonna ask you to make. The benefits you receive will be few and the responsibilities you take on many. However, my hope for all of you is that what you, will, you will acquire something far more important the knowledge that when the moment of crisis came, you held the line. Thank you, I really appreciate it, and happy to answer any questions. Preble Hall is in no way intended to reflect the official positions of the Department of the Navy or the Naval Academy.